word this morning. Uh, just pray as we come together, Lord God, focus our hearts, um, calm our minds. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the opportunities and the conversations that have happened this last week. Um, thank you for the opportunity with Ken to talk with his sister and um, for even this devotional that uh, seems to be uh, impacting her. I pray that that would continue, that she would uh, truly know you um, and uh, draw near to you. Uh, pray for Jordan, oh Lord God, that um, uh, we know and, and love Jordan and Lucy Thompson, and uh, we pray for them. Uh, we pray for Jordan in particular, that you would work in his life. Uh, thank you for Stephen Brenda's persistence, and pray that, uh, that you would work there. Lord, we pray for this morning as we continue to think about uh, your holiness and also now your glory. Um, help us, give us right conceptions. Help us to think of you rightly, Lord, to honor you. Uh, we thank you for this time this morning. In your name, amen. All right, so just a little bit of review. So our series is on holiness, and uh, the kind of the, the path is, is laid out for us in 1 Peter 1, um, 14. So this is kind of, I guess, I've adopted it as the theme verse of where we're going. But First uh, Peter 1, 14, just to remind you, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, uh, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so if we want to talk about holiness in regard to behavior, we need to backtrack and talk about holiness in relation to God, because that's the reason uh, that God gives for that. Uh, and even more so, because uh, Peter quotes the Old Testament, he quotes Leviticus in particular, uh, we need to go back into the Old Testament conception of holiness, what does that mean? So we've been spending time on that, because that same conception um, comes forward into the new. Uh, and so we spent the last couple of weeks talking about that. Um, uh, we said uh, there's a couple key things that we can say. One, the concept of holiness is inseparably, inseparably, sorry, the concept of holiness is inseparably related to the tabernacle and the temple and the Old Testament. It's a very concrete picture uh, that the New Testament is going to lean on uh, quite a bit. So uh, we need to understand that. But then we finally kind of landed with the definition of holiness, um, a very long one, but uh, uh, let me go ahead and repeat that for you. We said last week, holiness is uncommonness in relation to God or people, places, and things. So basic idea, holiness is uncommonness. Uh, it's, it's paired and, um, in Leviticus 10.10 with uh, its opposite, uh, uncommonness. So if we want to think about holiness, it's at a basic level, it's uncommonness. With reference to God, it describes his utter uncommonness and incomparability. That's how God describes himself. There's no one uh, like you. Uh, it describes his utter uncommonness and incomparability because of who he is as God. With reference to people, places, or things, uh, holiness indicates that God has declared the person, place, or thing as uncommon and belonging to himself for his own use. Closer the person, place, or thing is to God's naked presence, the more holy or uncommon must be the person, place, or thing. So that's where we're at so far. Uh, just any questions as we're reviewing the concept? Okay, good. Because now we're going to turn a, a little bit of a corner. Uh, it, so really, a lot of what today is going to be about is not holiness per se, but uh, talking about a related concept 
that is also very important in Leicester Scripture, and that's God's glory. Uh, as we've talked about God's holiness, it's like, hey, wait a minute, uh, glory and holiness, they're often um, connected, so how are they connected? Uh, and actually, this is going to form, again, what, what we're doing, we're ultimately going to end up in how do we grow as believers in holiness, but we're, all this stuff that we're doing is setting the backdrop for that. And discussing the relationship between God's glory and God's holiness will be part of that backdrop. It's going to be very crucial, as you'll see. So, as we start with this, um, we're going we're gonna to like what we did with holiness. We're going to walk, walk through a few passages and then come up with a definition. But before we do that, uh, let's start with an initial just kind of intuition or under, current understanding of this concept. How would you describe God's glory? How would you describe God's glory? Or glory in general. Um, it's not just used of God, although it is, but how would you describe that concept of glory, and particularly God's glory? Okay, so the, do you say the radiation? Okay, so going out for him through um, those outside him. So, yeah, okay, good. What else? How, how do you conceive currently of glory? Okay, high and lifted up, right? There's this idea of exaltation uh, to it. Good. Um, what else? Any other kind of, in your current conception, in your mind, what is God's glory? What's that? Okay, purity, right? And uh, we, uh, we kind of relate, there, there is that concept. Uh, we, it's not the same as holiness, but it is related. And so even though we might think of that in relation to God's um, glory, okay? Okay. Uh, Okay, good. Yeah, all of his attributes on display. That's, that's excellent, right? And that kind of relates to the idea of radiation, right? Like he's displaying his attributes. Um, yeah, good. Very good. Right. And so... And what you're talking about there is, okay, God's displaying his glory, but then there's a response back, right? Uh, well, both, right? So it's that glory is displayed in multiple ways in his attributes. We could also say in his creation. But then even, I think you brought up the idea of praise, right? That there's this response back. Okay, Susan. Yeah, good. So uh, that twofold, God's, God's from his essence, from who he is, he's, dis he's displaying, he's manifesting. But then uh, when we talk about glorifying God, we don't add to his glory, but we reflect back his worth to him. Um, good. You guys are doing great. This, this is, uh, you guys have got great handles already on this, um, this concept. So let's, 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 let's hone it. Let's get, let's get it even more precise. We want to be people of precision when we're talking about God and about concepts related to God. So um, here's the main word. Now, there's more than one word for glory, but there's primarily one word in the Old Testament. Primarily, not exclusively, but uh, the word is kavod. Um, you don't need to remember that at all. Um, but what the word basically means is weight. Weight. Uh, so the, 
the, um, either in a noun or an adjective or even the verb form, it, it has this kind of core idea of weight. Uh, and literally, in the case of uh, uh, Levi, in the case of Second Samuel, it says he's heavy, right? So it can literally refer to literal heaviness, okay? Um, but what, what happened with this word weight, like a lot of words, it became a nice word for describing things like wealth or honor, right? If you think of someone being weighty, uh, you could measure that in terms of wealth. Uh, you could express that in terms of honor, okay? So when we talk about, but there's got this idea of weightiness, okay? Now, uh, we want to actually see how is the word used, right? How is the word used? Because we really want to understand a word in the scriptures, we need to see how is it actually used in context. That's what we did with holiness. So we're going to do that with glory, too. And pro really, mostly, we could, we could get the, a, a great handle on this word primarily just from Exodus, from Exodus, okay? That's really, if you look at this word and where it pops up, it starts to pop up a lot, especially in relation to God in uh, Exodus. So let's, let's walk through some passages where we see this word used. And again, it's not just this one word, but it's like the primary word that represents this concept, okay? So let's go to Exodus 14, 14. And someone go ahead, uh, let me see if we need a couple more verses for context. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, I must have misreferenced it. Because it doesn't say anything about glory. Where is it? Well, let's say it like um, this, okay? Um, when, I can't remember what the specific verse is, so if you see it, I must have missed some numbers or flipped them around or something, but um, you see it, you can call it out. But basically, we know in Exodus, God does the plagues to save his people, right? But then God talks a lot about 17? Thank you. Okay, so let's, let's start. Someone go ahead and read 14, 15, um, through 18, just to get a little context. So 14, 15 through 18. Through 18, one more verse. Okay, so what's going on? What do we see about glory here, and glory in relation to God particularly? Uh, Gary first, and then I think it was Pat. Yes, yes, well said, right? Like, he is going to do these things, and he's going to get glory for himself so that people might know that he is God, right? So we see this is already, this is connected with who God is, right? 
this is connected with who God is, but there's a display going on. Someone else spoke up. Was that you, Pat? Yeah. Right. So God already has this glory, right, um, based on who he is, but he's displaying it. And he's displaying it in actions, right? Uh, miracles uh, is what we would call them, signs. Uh, and that's something you see even throughout uh, the scriptures in relation to glory. God displays his glory um, through signs. But what we see here, right, God, uh, God is being glorified in these actions so that the Egyptians might know who God is, right? Like might know uh, what kind of a, a, a being, what kind of a God he is. So, good. All right, let's go to Exodus 24. Next stop. Uh, Exodus 24, 16 and 17. Um, Let's go ahead and start in 15. Um, Let's go ahead and read 15 through 18. Someone go ahead and read Exodus 24, 15 through 18, just to get a little context. So just a little context, they're out of the Exodus, they're at Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments in chapter 20, the giving, the initial giving of the Mosaic Covenant um, happens really from chapter 20 through 24, so this is kind of the end of that, right? Um, and it's describing what's going on on Mount Sinai. So what, what do you see about God's glory here? Yeah, cover the mountain, good. It's on this, it's... It's on display. It's visible. There's a visibleness to it, okay? Yeah, uh, uh, fire. What's that? A devouring power. Now, what does the devouring fire remind you of in Exodus? It should remind you of one other kind of incident. The burning bush, right? So Exodus 3, we talked about this. uh, I think it was two weeks ago now, but we talked about this, right? Moses goes up to God on Mount Sinai initially, right? And what happens there? You remember what happens in it um, with the burning bush, the, the, the fire that's consuming this bush, but it doesn't actually consume it, right? It's there. What, what happens there? What is said? It becomes holy ground, right? So now, remember, our goal in this is ultimately to relate the concept of glory to holiness, right? So what we see, here's God's glory manifesting his presence Right, and at least in Exodus three, uh, that caused uh, we could say it like this: that caused the ground to be declared by God holy. Right, it's set apart for His use. You guys with me on this? Does it make sense? So now think to back to this episode, Exodus twenty four. Uh, we've got this consuming fire. What, what's different? What's similar and what's different in Exodus twenty four? Yeah. What else could we say about this, what's going on on Mount Sinai? It's a cloud, yeah. We've got this cloud, actually that's fairly significant, which also, if you think about how the Exodus proceeds, you've got this 
pillar of fire and cloud, right? So that's evidently this, it's, it's got manifesting God's presence, right? But uh, yeah, he enters into the cloud. And even more, think about Mount Sinai again, right? Who gets to go up on Mount Sinai? Yeah, he gets to go all the way to the top. Why? Exactly, right? And so now we start to, because that's what the tabernacle does. The tabernacle is a mobile Mount Sinai, right? And so we start to get this picture. Remember the idea of holiness is very spatial, um, but we see the relationship here, right? We see the glory of God at the top. Israel as a whole can't go up. The elders and some of the priests get to go like a third of the way up or halfway up or something like that. But then only Moses gets to go to the top, right? Um, Why? Because... Well, one, what we start to see this, uh, God's glory is there. It's a devouring fire. Um, and that, that, that aspect of God's glory is manifesting his presence and his being. It causes the place to be uncommon because God's glory is there, right? Uh, he's manifesting his presence. He's displaying his glory. Uh, he's displaying his being in a sense. Um, he's displaying his presence. Yeah, good. Any other thoughts on on this. This is really important. We're kind of getting this visual idea of the relationship between glory and holiness. Yeah. Right. Well, you think of, and even thinking the comparison between the burning bush and Israel being at Mount Sinai, like Israel being at Mount Sinai, there's a trumpet, the thing's like smoking like a kiln, right? This thing is, this thing's, yeah, and they're terrified. They're absolutely terrified, right? Because of, uh, it's, it's that image of, it's kind of that image of a nuclear reactor again, right? You don't dare get close to this thing. You know you're going to die, um, and what's interesting about this, as, even as we th- think about the, the, the tabernacle, the temple, remember what's the, what's the original? The original is the Garden of Eden, right? And it's lush, and it's green, and there's no, like, danger, right? There's, like, rest. But now we get kind of this shift, right? Fast forward, we go up Mount Sinai, you're in a desert, and this thing's going to explode, right? What's the difference? Uh, sin has entered the world, Right? Um, and it kind of gives a really visual tangibleness to, uh, okay, when sin enters the world, what does that do to God's relationship with man, right? Uh, but anyway, we're getting off that base a little bit. Any other comments on uh, Exodus 24? God's glory. There is an interesting connection between six days and then the seventh day you get to go up. Remember the original... Uh, seventh day was called holy, right, uh, by God. So there's a connection there. But anyway, uh, that's just kind of for free. All right, let's fast forward a little bit more. Exodus 29. So, you know, you get through, if you're doing your reading plan, which we put out a reading plan uh, last week for the church, right, um, and going through the Bible, and you're doing pretty good um, through Exodus, and then you hit the tabernacle, right? And you're like, Whoa, lots of details about the tabernacle. Well, now you can start to appreciate why that's so significant, right? Um, and 
the tabernacle's a really big deal because essentially it's God's plan for making Sinai go mobile so he can dwell with his people, right? So in the midst of that, um, Exodus 29, uh, 42... Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and pick it up and 42 and 40, through 46. And we want to see the concepts of holiness and glory here. Okay, so Exodus 40, 29, 42 through 46. I'm going to go ahead and read that. Okay, where do we see glory in, uh, in this? Yeah, what's it doing? So God's glory is doing something in 43. What's it doing? It's consecrating. There's our idea of holiness, right? So uh, it's, what do we say? Now, what's it consecrating? Yeah, it's, set, it's, it's, it's consecrating it, it's setting it apart for God's use, but what's it consecrating? The, the tent of meeting, right? So remember, holiness gets used in regard to God or people, places, and things. This is a people, place, or thing idea, so what's it happening? God is, by his glory, setting apart uh, this sanctuary, this tabernacle, this sanctuary, right, to be with his people. So his glory is that which is... a. Uh, Putting a setting aside this thing to be uncommon, uh, to be holy, right? Um, and it, uh, it just like Mount Sinai, the top of Mount Sinai, right? The the ground is not inherently holy. There's nothing particular about it except for the fact that God uses it and declares that this is for my use uh, because my glory is there. So it needs to be set aside as uncommon. Okay. Um, and you kind of see that whole idea. It's about God dwelling with his people, right? And, and here's the thing you start to see is, and we've already seen it, right? God's presence and his glory are like this, right? So in some sense, God's glory is, is it, it becomes almost equated with his being. And that kind of makes sense um, if you think about that core idea of weight, right? Uh that, that there's, there's an intrinsic weight to who God is, right? Um, and then, yes, there's that intrinsic weight, and then that gets kind of displayed. Um, okay, and you'll see that really a lot, probably the quintessential passage in Exodus when we want to see God's glory, and it's really cool. You guys, you guys get the bonus um, uh, for this morning because essentially what we're going to see in Exodus 33, 18 we're going to actually also see in John 1 this morning in the sermon. So you guys get, the, you guys get that, uh, the gold star, uh, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. You get to get a treat. Um, uh, let's go ahead, I'll go ahead and read this one, Exodus. So, so remember what happens, you get all the tabernacle instructions, and then they decide, the people are down there, and Aaron's down there, 
the supposed to be the high priest, and they decide to build a golden calf, right? Uh, and they like break all of the Ten Commandments all, all at once, right? And God's like, I'm going to destroy these people, and I'm just going to start with you, Moses. And God, Moses intercedes, and he keeps interceding, right? Uh, and, and he's basically, in Exodus 33, uh, he's, he's like, please go with us. If you don't go with us, it's worthless. The promised land is worthless without you being there. It's about your presence. It's about you being with us. And God eventually relents. But in the midst of all of this, um, we see in Exodus 33, 18, uh, Moses makes a request. Moses said, please show me your glory. And I think, I mean, given, given the context, Moses is like, if I'm going to keep doing this, <laughs> I, I need your glory. Because God's glory is the, the treasure of the universe, really. Um, so Moses asked, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name Yahweh. And so what you see here, right, Moses asked God to show him his glory and what God respond with, let me show you myself, right, and my character. Someone mentioned character, uh, all my goodness, uh, and I will proclaim my name. God's name is just really a synonym for his, his being. Uh, Yahweh, right, the God who is, he, um, and we keep going, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face. Now, God doesn't have a face. He's a spirit. But uh, the idea is you can't get a full-on glimpse of who God is. Um, For man shall not see me and live. Um, and Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory, so we know that what God has just described is as synonymous with his glory, passes by, and I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So he's going to get like kind of a bit, like a glimpse, uh, a passing glimpse of some aspect of God's glory. Let's fast forward a little bit. So Moses makes the new um, tablets. Um, and verse 6, we see God fulfill what he said he's going to do. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I want you to remember these things when we get into John 1 this morning. Uh, But in any case, for our purposes, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear, uh, clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Right? So God is, makes good on his promise for his glory to pass by. Right? And what does he do? 
what is, how is his glory manifested? Right? If his glory is passing by, and then what we see in the text happens, what is his glory consistent? His attributes, yeah. Right? Who he is, his goodness, his compassion, his steadfast love, uh, these are his attributes that God is proclaiming, right? Uh, so again, we see that God's glory, we see it here, God's glory is used interchangeably with his name and often as a reference to himself and his being, and his being expressed in his attributes, okay? Um, now, remember what happens after all of this. So Moses comes down, and what's going on with Moses after all of this? Remember what happens? His face shone, right? Which means what about God's glory? Yeah. It's somehow visible. It's, it's, it's somehow giving off light to where it changes Moses' face so that it shines, it's reflecting, right? So again, we've got that idea of visibleness with glory, this idea of light uh, that's often connected with God's glory, but we see it's connected with God's declaration of his central being and character, right? Um, another way to put it, right, if you talk about God's glory, you're talking about him, right? Uh, yes, you're talking about the display of him, but ultimately you're talking about him and who he, he is. Okay, questions or comments on this? Where are you at? 3412? Or Yeah, yeah, he wants to know who God is, he wants to know his attributes, he wants, which is a manifestation of really God's being and his, his glory, right? Um, so, um, that's, that's really what, uh, I mean, we think about that, and we think about, he wants him to go, he, God wants, or Moses wants God to go with him and with the people, because that's the whole point, right? God dwelling with his people. And even if you were to fast forward just a little bit into, let's fast forward just a second into Leviticus. Um, oddly enough, you might, um, God's glory is not talked about a ton in Leviticus. Um, it's more the aspect of holiness, though they're related. We're seeing that. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, Leviticus 9, 6. And it's similar to what is going on with Moses requesting to see God's glory. Leviticus 9, 6, And Moses said, 
This is the thing that Yahweh commanded you to do, that the glory of Yahweh may appear to you, right? So the goal of the tabernacle, right, is to draw near to God, to, for him to dwell with his people. And what do you want out of that? Like the main goal, and you can really see it here, you want to see God's glory. It's desirable, though it's dangerous, right? It's desirable and it's dangerous all at the same time, right? But that's why we have all the instructions in Leviticus. This is how you draw near so that you can see God's glory. Moses wanted to see it. Uh, we see in Leviticus that's the purpose even of uh, what's going on with the tabernacle, right? Because God's glory is it's transformative. We can even get a glimpse of that with Moses' face. Um, it's, it's really life, right? This idea of uh, all-consuming fire, right? It's, it's really a picture of, of the fountain of life in a lot of ways, right? Uh, but it's dangerous. Uh, it's dangerous. Just like a uh, nuclear reactor is really, really powerful, and it's really, really cool, and it does a lot of great things, and it helps a lot of things if you treat it right. <laughs> uh, if you don't, uh, it's devastating. Uh, which is why, uh, because it's so desirable to see God's glory, the way Exodus ends is really significant. Go to Exodus 40. This is kind of our last stop. Exodus 40. Uh, and someone go ahead and read 34. Uh, yeah, go ahead and read 34 to the end of the book. So what happens with God's glory at the end of Exodus? What's that? No, no, no. With, with just Exodus, right? Like, what's what is what does God's glory do? It stays with them. It enters the tabernacle and enters a mobile Mount Sinai, right? So uh, now God's presence is dwelling with His people. Though there's still kind of a problem, right? Do you notice what happens with Moses? He can't get in. <laughs> he can't get in because God's glory has filled, and filling language often comes along with God's glory, his presence, uh, which is going to be very significant as you walk through the scriptures, right? But, but that's kind of the, the it's, it's a good thing, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. God's glory is dwelling with his people, uh, but there's still this issue of distance, right? Um, if you were to walk through, so you kind of get the sense of God's glory in Exodus, uh, even taking a broader scope, um, just to summarize, um, when you talk about God's glory through the scriptures, we're seeing that it's, 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 it's sort of a, really a synonym for him himself and his being, but it's manifested in many ways. We've seen it's manifested in light. There's a visibleness to it, but it's also seen in God's signs, especially in the Exodus and, and things he does throughout Israel's history, his greatness his splendor, his power, uh, his riches, those are all talked about as you walk through the scriptures, okay? So now we're kind of in a position to come up with um, a shot at a definition of glory, 
okay? We had a definition of holiness, we have a definition of glory, and now we want to relate the two, okay? So what's our definition of glory? God's glory is the weight of his intrinsic being or the manifestation of that weight. So God has intrinsic glory, right? He is, because of who he is, his being, right, he has intrinsic weight. Uh, he's the most weighty reality in existence, right? Uh, it's the weight of his intrinsic being. So that's intrinsic. But it, that weight also gets manifested. We've seen that, right? So God's glory is the weight of his intrinsic being or the manifestation of that weight. That's kind of a nice basic way to put it. It's either, it's both intrinsic, but it also gets displayed. But here, and we talked about this earlier, um, to glorify God, we're not adding to God's glory. We're not adding to his weight. We can't do that. Okay, that's impossible, but what, what does it mean then to glorify God? To glorify God is to reflect to him some measure of the weight of honor that is proper to his being. Right? That's, God's, that's God's glory. Um, it, he is weighty. Uh, it is, he has intrinsic weight because that's, he has intrinsic weight to who he is that gets displayed, and then if we are properly oriented towards him, we see that glory, and we reflect it back to him, and we're, we're said to glorify him. Yeah, I'll repeat the definition, because Ashley asked so nicely. Um, God's glory is the weight of his intrinsic being, or the manifestation of that weight. To glorify God is to reflect to him some measure of the weight of honor that is proper to his being. Yeah, that would be worship, right? So to glorify God, another word for that is worship. So what we do in worship, uh, we are, so when we sing, that's just one manifestation of worship. Worship is manifested not just in singing, right? Uh, but when we sing, we are trying in some of the, how God has built us and how he's commanded us, we are trying to ascribe to him at least some measure, right, of who his, his, his weightiness, his honor right? And we're doing that together, right? You can do that individually, of course, right? But there's a, there's a kind of a multiplicative effect when you're doing it together as his people, right? And here we come back to the idea of uh, where the whole temple thing is going in scripture. The local church at this point in redemptive history is that temple, right? And so you see things like the Psalms happening, right, near the temple. So this is why we sing in church, right? Because together we're trying to give some measure of reflection of back to God of his worth, right? That's what worship is all about. Um, and again, it's not just in song. We worship by hearing the scriptures preached. We worship in, in a number of ways. We worship through obedience. Uh, but but that's, uh, uh, that's one particular way we all think of when we think of glorifying God, okay? Yeah, Susan. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're uh, and here's the thing, and you're going to see it this morning in John 1, uh, God's glory is manifested in the gospel, just like you're saying, Susan. It's manifested in the gospel. In fact, in many ways, that's the burning center of, of God's glory and the manifestation of his glory in scripture, right? Because this is how 
What's the, tra- what's the good of the good news? God himself, his glory, right? We want to see his glory. We want to be near him. So how- we can't, though, um, unless there's a way of dealing with sin. Okay, so now we take back up, right? Well, any questions more on God's glory and that definition? So we got intrinsic, displayed, and then if you're glorifying God, it's reflected back to him. All right, so now take one more step back, holiness. What is the relationship? This is where we started, and this is why we kind of took this tangent, because we need, we need to correlate these ideas. What is the relationship of God's glory to his holiness? And here I'm actually going to, uh, as we talk about it, I'm actually going to correct an idea I told Zach a couple months ago. So, um, because Zach asked me this very question, actually, a few minutes ago. You remember that, Zach? He asked me, what, what's the relationship between God's holiness and his glory? And I gave him a, a quick answer, and I'm going to modify that answer from what we've talked about. Um, okay? What is the relationship, based on what we've seen, between God's glory and his holiness? I would reverse it. Because what is holiness? Holiness is uncommonness. It's a relative term. But what we've said is God's glory is his intrinsic weight in his being. You can even go back to, remember um, Exodus, we were there a few minutes ago, right? Exodus 29, 42 through 46. The why is the temple or the sanctuary, the the tabernacle, why is it set apart as holy? Which comes first, God's holiness or his glory? Glory does, right? Because the glory of God sets the tabernacle apart, right? Or think of on top of Mount Sinai, right? Why is the ground holy? Because God's glory is there, right? So that's the idea, and I was surprised because exactly what I, um, uh, I, uh, what I told Zach a couple months ago is that very thing. And you hear it's very common to say that God's glory is the external manifestation of his holiness, but I don't think that's how Scripture talks about it. I think it talks about it in the exact reverse of that. God's glory is his intrinsic weight, and then the reason he's uncommon Why is God uncommon? Why is he utterly uncommon and incomparable? Because of his his glory. Because of his intrinsic weight. So, we could say it like this. God is holy, he's uncommon, he's incomparable because of his glory. Or, another way to say it, God causes things. So, there's a relationship to himself, and then there's a relationship to other things. So, God is holy, incomparable, utterly incomparable, utterly uncommon because of his glory, his intrinsic glory. But if we think about in relationship to things like the tabernacle, like people, God causes things to be holy by the presence of his glory. Okay? Or another way to say that God's glory has a sanctifying effect. Right? It sets things apart for himself, for his possession. Okay? Now, let's, let's dialogue on that a little bit, because that's kind of backwards. It's definitely backwards of what I told Zach a couple months ago, and you hear it. You'll hear it from theologians. Uh, you know, God's holiness is his intrinsic character, and his glory is manifesting that. And it's, 
and in some sense it's true, but I think the way that Scripture actually uses those terms, it's the reverse. Um, thoughts, questions, conundrums, comments. Yeah, uh, Lori. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You got it. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Uh, while you're there, are you still there in Ephesians? Turn. You'll notice if you read Ephesians, there's this language of fullness. And in fact, if you were to go through scriptures, uh, the scriptures, um, you would see that often repeated. God's glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the seas. Uh, even in Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, holy, holy, holy um, is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is, or his glory is that which will fill the whole earth. Uh, like a like a sanctuary, right? But then you see that same filling language in Ephesians, which actually explains Ephesians five eighteen quite well. Uh, look at, re, go, would you mind reading for me Ephesians five eighteen through twenty one? Through 21, please. Right, submitting to one another. It's actually, so it's, he's got this list, right? So 518, don't get drunk by means of wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled by means of the Spirit. This is a corporate command, not an individual command. He's talking about the church. Because notice what he says. He explains what does it look like to be filled by means of the Spirit Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for ever, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So all of those things are what it looks like to be filled by the Spirit as the local church, which is where God is displaying in measure his glory. In very mundane things, or seemingly mundane things like singing and serving one another. Uh, and all of those things. That's why he says in Ephesians 3, at the very end, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to his, the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So you want to see the concentrated, the concentrated manifestation of God's Glory on, on earth, you come to the local church on Sunday morning. And you see that corporate reality displaying this filling idea, right? Um, that's why the, what we do here is uncommon. It's holy, not because we're uh, special or not even because we're clear of sin, right? But because God has dedicated and set apart the use of the church and the gathering of the local church for the display of his glory. Isn't that awesome?
Like, you just see how this theme, it's, it's central to the storyline of Scripture, and we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it, which is amazing, right? Because we are sinful people, and yet God has graciously brought us in to seeing his glory in the face of Jesus Christ in the gospel and then displaying that glory together, right? But it's together. There's something that happens together that can't happen individually. So, Oh, don't steal my thunder, Mike. <laughs> uh, no, 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 good. Very good connection. Uh, good. No, no, totally. But given what you've seen this morning... Then think of John 1 and what's going on in John 1, and it's awesome. It's awesome. So, good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. You are eternally weighty beyond what we could describe with our words, and yet we try, and you want us to, and you're pleased when we use our fumbling speech and songs and all the capacities you've given us as creatures to, to glorify you. And we thank you for the reality of the local church that we get to be part of this. And we pray that you would be most honored, that you would be highly exalted this morning through singing, through the preaching of your word, through fellowship, through serving one another, through loving one another. May your glory be manifested in the church, as Ephesians 3 says. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.